Welcome to the Native Artist Podcast from Indigify, sharing the unique stories and perspectives of Indigenous artists. Quipsidewen, Ntuliwis, Pigudwiaji Plagin, Nagatan Dujeo, Negutko, Kubanaki, Nijintaknel, Naga, Nodahazude, Wiju, Nidabesk, Andy. So in my language, I just said that my name is Jeremy Dutcher. I come from the Wolustuk Nation uh, in Wabanaki territory. I'm a song carrier and uh, very happy to be here with my friend Andy. That's me, your host, Andy Murphy. I'll be speaking to Jeremy Dutcher about his musical work. His 2018 debut album, Wolustuyig, Link du Wagnuwa, is a connection between his Wolustuk community, or Tobik First Nation, and old traditional songs that were recorded more than a century ago on wax cylinders. The album, which is completely sung in the Wolustuk language, is also an award winner. It won the Polaris Music Prize in 2018 and a Juno Award in 2019. We'll hear more from Jeremy about his music, his upbringing, and how he uses his time in the spotlight to talk about Indigenous issues. Jeremy and I are in his apartment in the mild end area of Montreal in what's been described to me as the artsy part of the city. He's recently moved in, so some of his things are still in boxes. This apartment is nice because it's, it's, you know, it gives you space to have a creative time and non-creative time too, which is important, you know. Six years ago, I was visiting an elder from my community named Maggie Paul. And Maggie Paul's a song carrier from our nation. I was talking to her about her life and what her experience of music as an indigenous woman, you know, growing up in the 40s and 50s, like what did her community sound like? That was the question I had for her. And so she talked a lot about how music had really gone away from the people. Uh, when she was about 30, she wanted to bring it back. And, and so she did a lot of work and research and went around everywhere, all over, even to the States, to, to bring song back to our people. So I was really, really interested in telling this story, but we got on to talking about these old songs, like really old songs. She said, you know, if you really want to know about the old songs, you can't, you can't stick around here People don't even know those songs anymore. And I said, well, oh, wow. Okay, so how do you know about them? She says, well, they're, 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 they're at the, the, the museum. You got to go there if you want to know more about those old songs. And to be honest, she didn't even, it wasn't even that direct. It wasn't like, you got to go there. It was more like, she told me about them, that they existed. And she said, wouldn't it be nice if somebody went and brought those back to the people? And I said, yeah, it would be nice. So that kind of became my work uh, because I was, I guess, kind of apprenticing under this, this woman. 
she wanted someone to go to the museum and do the work and so i went and i spent a couple weeks there and listened to all of these songs of my ancestors like early recordings from the 1900s uh the early 1900s um, so over 110 years old some of the very first recorded music ever i let that sink in <laughs> you know some of the first early sound recordings were of my ancestors which is very cool and so I got to go and sit down with them and, and hear them. And Okay, so I'm witnessing all of these beautiful things, these songs, these photos, these stories. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to, like, it's, it's a problem to me that nobody knew about them, that people didn't even know that this archive existed, let alone were they going there and researching them and bringing them out. So for me, it was a, it was a matter of accessibility and making sure that, like, Wolustuk people, like, my nation had access to this archive. So I set out, I guess, to do that in a couple ways um, through, you know, creating music that is based on these melodies, these old songs, in the hopes that doing that would make them accessible, you know, putting it on Spotify so that like, you know, our people can listen to that. Or, But it was also more than that too. It was also going out and, and touring and, and taking this songs and this show out to our communities. Doing shows like uh, on reserve, in reservations, um, where they don't necessarily have a stage or a grand piano or like this music belongs to those communities. That act of in time real rematriation of these songs, going back into communities and saying that like, the singer of this song comes from this community. It's probably a relative of yours, you know? That's like, and to get to meet people that are connected to the, the people that are singing on these recordings, it was like, it was really beautiful, you know, to come into contact with, with all of those people. start as like an idea to make a record it's like a cycle or cyclical thing going you know but it wasn't much more complicated than that like it wasn't I wasn't planning on winning any like awards or like touring for the rest of my life I just wanted to really show my community how beautiful we are that's it you know and then it had all these ramifications outside of our community what's been really beautiful is like getting to meet other indigenous people from you know the other side of the continent and really the other side of the world too. Like I was, we were just over in Australia and getting to meet Maori people and Sami people in the North uh, in Scandinavia, you know, come up to me and say, you know, I don't understand a thing you're saying, but I connect with that music and the message and what you're trying to talk about is so on. It, it sits with me. 
And that's been cool to see that it's connected with not just my own community of indigenous people, but indigenous people coast to coast to coast. Um, I didn't expect that at all. So mm, here we are. Um, now I'm working on other other kinds of music. Some of it's in English, some of it's you know electronic, some of it's like I'm going in many different orchestral, going in many different directions, and uh, letting that just be, letting that exist. Like I was saying, you know, I think right now for indigenous people, we just need to be. And that's, that's all we are called to do. It's because it's all within us because everything that has led to our existence and our survival are tools that will help us survive in the future too. And so we just need to be with our kin, be with our community, be with our language speakers, the knowledge keepers, the song carriers, all those people that are the medicine people, you know, there's, it's just endless, you know, the kinds of support that's within our societies. As I mentioned before, his music won a Juno Award and a Polaris Music Prize. That's a really big deal, but... Humility is a very important value among our our people. You're no better than anyone. You're no worse than anyone. We all exist, you know? And so that ethos, I guess, carries on in, in everything that I believe is that um, hierarchical ways of structuring better or worse is not really artistic or true <laughs> you know um so the even the idea of an award show i think if you know i don't think we would run it like that if that was our if we were in charge you know what i'm saying i think it'd be much more um democratic and lifting each other up rather than like you are the winner you know of this uh, prestigious thing. So, yeah, I've always felt a little weird about it just because I, for me, it's not, it's never been about creating music to get awards, you know, or gaining recognition for the work that I do. Um, what I will say is it's a platform, you know, and I've tried when I can to use that platform to speak to political issues in our country and um you know like the speech that i gave for the junos last year when i won that award you know it was televised and it was like in front of a lot of people and and getting to call the prime minister out and say you know it's not acceptable in 2019 that we have communities without clean drinking water and you're arresting protesting grandmothers on their unceded land you know this is not it's not okay. And so, you know, if I have to play the award show game, then I at least want to do it responsibly, you know, and, 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 and speak up for my people and what's, what's on our mind right now. On the other hand, you know, it's like, it's a huge honor for sure. And I mean, um, you know, being gifted an eagle feather from my community means more to me than, than winning a music award. You know, because being seen in the work that you do for the reasons that you do it is really what's important. Especially these big awards, they're about industry, they're about money, they're about they're somebody else's game, they're not my game. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be very happy to go and speak a little truth, drop a little truth bomb and wear a cute outfit and, you know, invite my mom. But, you know, it's not, not what I do it for. Uh, right, so just art forms i think it's kind of silly to judge them <laughs> you know yeah. it's like uh, 
nobody's artistic expression is necessarily better or worse than anybody else's. It's like so personal too. Exactly. And especially, I mean, this one for me, especially, this is very much coming from like my family story, my community story, you know, in our language. And, and so it was such a personal thing for me. So, so in that way, it was just, I'm glad it was received by my community. That's really all I cared about. And everything else on top of that was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll get dressed up and, you know, have a little fun. But, uh, but it was never the, yeah, never what was important about it. We're in Jeremy's music room, and after a bit, he moves over to the keyboard by the window. Lyrics and notes, most likely from a new music project, are scribbled on a sheet of music paper at the keyboard. He settles onto an exercise ball in front of the keys. The chair looks awkward at first, but as soon as he starts playing, it gives him the freedom to move. He's swaying and bobbing up and down to every note. here with ballistic song carrier Jeremy Dutcher. We're going to a short break and when we get back we'll hear more from Jeremy about fashion and his upbringing. So stay with us. Since the dawn of time, the salmon have returned. Compelled by instinct, they respond in the millions. A reminder that, with purpose and perseverance, we can chart the course of our future. As Bristol Bay Native Corporation has done for nearly 50 years, investing in future generations here in a place that's always been. Creole. 
Welcome back. This is the Native Artist Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and check out all the other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Andy Murphy, and I'm here with Willistic Song Carrier, Jeremy Dutcher. I asked Jeremy about finding his voice, and he admits that he has a hard time reining in his thoughts about identity, colonialism, and contemporary indigenous life and art. The challenge for the interviewer coming to interview me is to follow the <laughs> yeah. follow the text because it does go it goes everywhere and that's okay minds minds do that <laughs> but yeah uh, it's all one big story one big song that we're singing together so it's all good they can go in many different directions I, I think like much of the live show that we do when we perform is all improvised like there's not really much of a plan. Uh, we know kind of the the melodies and the songs that we're getting at, but there's no there's no direct, you know, nobody's playing from a uh, from the music, the sheet music or anything. So, I, I like to take that approach in conversation too. It's just whew, it can go any way. It's so possible, and there's it's, truly there's so much to consider when we're talking about indigenous people and food or indigenous people and music, or indigenous people and literally anything, because there's there's so much undiscovered, right? Like they don't even know us, which I think is like, it's always good to remind, well, remind non-indigenous people, but also remind ourselves that they don't even know us because every representation of us in Hollywood or in the media up until very, very recently has been coming from outside of us has been gazing upon us and not really asking us or involving us or gaining consent from us to tell our stories. And so what I think is critical in this moment right now and with I think probably a lot of the indigenous artists that you're going to interview, it's indigenous people taking the taking the reins back of our own stories and saying that um, we're gonna tell it on our terms now. And so for example, with this first record, I did it all in my language. And for a lot of people, that was really frustrating. I had a lot of people reach out to, a lot of non-Indigenous people reach out to me and say, you know, we really we really need translations for this to, to understand it, you know? And it's like, then you don't even understand it. You know, if that's what you need to get into this music or to understand it at a cellular level, if you need a direct translation, then you're not getting it. You know what I'm saying? So. I think it's those kinds of interruptions of like the colonial need to like take and classify and um, put in like a, a genre box or something, you know, when you make music that challenges people's, yeah, I guess perceptions of what they thought indigenous music was, you know, because I think I get that a lot too. Well, your music doesn't even sound indigenous. Oh, the f does that mean sorry uh but no really like what does that mean you got to look at that well, what were you what were you expecting i always say i'm not the indian you expected but i am the indian you need <laughs> <laughs> you know because i think it's indigenous people today we are that reminder of survival and that existence and resilience of everything that our ancestors have been through and that we carry within us. And so I think when the more and more we can just live our, con again, this goes back to that contemporary word, our contemporality, we can live our now. The more we can live our now, I think the, the, 
there's medicine in that for everybody. So you heard it here, indigenous people, go live here now. And it's uh, bizarre. The doorbell rings, something Jeremy wasn't expecting. He answers it and comes back with a package. Fun. I have no idea what this is. I'm almost scared to open it in front of you, but I kind of want to as well. I know what this is. Thanks, Jeremy. Hope it fits. Caroline. Uh, there's an indigenous designer named Caroline Monet. And uh, she made me this jumpsuit of her art. So she makes this kind of like futuristic art. But that's also a little traditional too. It's got like, anyway, it's the sort of intersection between traditional and, and contemporary. But uh, yeah, she said she was going to make me a jumpsuit. And so it just arrived. I asked him about how he developed his personal aesthetic. After all, he's wearing a gray dress and is no stranger to wearing dresses and capes during performances and appearances. I mean, it has evolved in such a, a, a beautiful way a complex way too, I think, coming to understand how what is around us as we're coming up, as we're growing up, limits our choices in terms of gender expression and in terms of, I guess, just individual expression through clothes. And so I came from a rural place. We didn't have a lot of like fashion or like access to, to nice, well-made clothes. Yeah, I was profoundly unfashionable for a long time, <laughs> you know, when I was coming up. And I was always trying, you know, because I, 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 I came out as, as two-spirit or what I would call or what I call gay at the time when I was about 12 years old. So I was pretty young and, and thankfully supported by my family. And yeah, I guess more and more so as I come to understand what it means to be a two-spirit person in this moment right now, am I able to explore what that gender presentation looks like too? Because there have, among our indigenous nations, there have always been middle people. And I think the more we look into history and how our ancestors treated these middle people, we come to find out that, you know, it wasn't, you didn't have to come out. There was no, and there was no shame around, around that, like being gay or, or all of that has been learned from colonization and from the church and, 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 and from those, from those institutions, which sought to demonize certain aspects of who we were as indigenous people. So for me in this moment, I guess what I want to do is to represent what that two-spiritedness looks like in today. What queer indigenous people look like today, which is, you know, having the audacity to walk down the street in, in a dress and, a, you know, wearing next to nothing on national television, finding ways to showcase aesthetics that I never saw growing up. We barely saw any native people on TV, let alone gay native people. 
So I understand that my place as 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 somebody who is openly two spirited and in the media is to hold that space and to and to speak for those that that nobody's listening to, which so often is the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable among us. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about um, uh, growing up. Like, what what kind of kid were you when you were growing up? Um, where did you sit in the lunchroom, and um, how did that kind of contribute to who you are today? <laughs> okay, we're doing it. Okay, I was a profoundly awkward child. Um, like, there was not a whole lot of diversity where I came from. And so I was like a little chubby brown kid with braces and glasses and gay and in theater. And I was just eccentric. And I think I was, I was doing my best to like fit in, but like there was no chance of that happening. So like, um, it was just kind of sad <laughs> in a way. Um, but I was fortunate in the way that like, I was the youngest of my brothers and they had all gone before me and they're like, they're big boys, you know? And, and, and so they protected me in a lot of ways. Um, even though I was this like little gay weirdo in rural New Brunswick, I didn't have to fight necessarily, but it was, but I was profoundly awkward. Yeah. And didn't have a whole lot of, I was kind of like a social chameleon a little bit. I like to say, you know, like I, um, I didn't have like one friend group that I hung out with every lunch break. Like it was kind of like, I would just like pop around and do my visits and like, hi, how are you? How's it going? You know, and sort of, uh, I like to, to engage with many different kinds of people. I think that was one thing that always kind of weirded me out about socializing in, in high school or, or middle school even is that like people would just hang out with the same people every day. I have no time for that. People are so wonderful. I want to get to know them all. You know, yeah. But I was a, I was a strange child. I, I I filtered that or funneled that into my music, and I spent a lot of time alone too because my siblings were older than me, about five six years and eighteen years older than me. So, um, so I spent a lot of time alone, <laughs> too, um, which I was very sad about at the time, but came to realize that that's such a gift. And now I can be with myself. A lot of people can't be with themselves, which is, uh, well, I don't know how it makes them feel, but I would feel it sad that they struggle to just exist in their own space, in their own time. And, and uh, a lot, some people always need that external validation. And, and because I never had that you know, growing up, I didn't, uh, I didn't crave it. And so uh, I move in a bit of a different way now. Still, today I do. I'm very much not necessarily the most social person ever. Like, you know, I moved here and I have friends here, but like you're the first person to come in this home. I'm working on that one. Communication and friendship is something that I don't have a lot of time for also anymore. So I don't know. Uh, this feels like a therapy session now. <laughs> Thank you.
That was Willistic song carrier Jeremy Dutcher. Find his music wherever you listen to music. You can find out more about the Native Artist Podcast at nativeartistpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please make sure to rate, subscribe, and comment. Theme music by Enoch artist Reet. Additional music in this episode from Jeremy Dutcher's album, Wulistuyig Linkduagnua. The Native Artist Podcast is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, the Siri Foundation, supporting Alaska Native education, culture, and heritage since 1982, and the Bristol Bay Native Corporation. This episode is produced by me, your host, Andy Murphy. This has been a production of Indigify. Indigify.